This Week on Art of the Air features art supporter Karen Maravilla, who is a purveyor of unique items in her downtown shop, It's Just Serendipity. Next, we have Chicago Street Theater discussing their renovations and their season opening show, James and the Giant Peach. Our spotlight with Tim King discussing LaPorte County Symphony's April 17th concert featuring Gary Thor Weddo. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself to art, and show the world your heart. Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Our underwriters for Art in the Air are regional art patron Mary LeVan, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. Thank you for your generous support. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, vice president of radio operations at Lakeshore Public Radio. Art on the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m., plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or through our Facebook page. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air, Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. And we'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight someone who's been with us before, Tim King from the Port County Symphony Orchestra. He's going to update us on their next concert and some of the other things going on there. Tim, welcome to Spotlight. Welcome, thank Tim. you for thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back on your show. Well, you've got a lot of things happening, but your next thing coming up is the final concert of the season. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Who's conducting and uh, some of the things that's on the uh, uh, schedule for being played. Thank you. Well, how this came about was, you know, we've had to we had to stretch our music director 
search out another year and we had another concert left in the season and we thought what are we going to do here and so our our interim music director chuck said i have been trying to get this gentleman to come back to laporte for years now and he says i really think we need to welcome him back to laporte and the guy's name is gary wado it's w-e-d-o-w but pronounced wado and gary is a is a native of laporte he's a graduate of laporte high school who went on to iu the jacobs school and um, has been um, a faculty member at the Juilliard School of Music in New York City since 1994. He has guest conducted practically every orchestra and opera company in the United States, including the New York Phil, the Seattle Symphony, uh, the Boston Lyric Opera. He was the chorus master for the New York City Opera for 15, 16 years. And so he, the guy's been everywhere. And what I found out about him is that his schedule, of course, pre-pandemic, of course, but his schedule was so tight that literally the only date we could get him 18 months in advance was April the 17th of 2021, because he was literally booked every other week of the year. And how I found that out was he, he is so well-liked that he gets getting re-invited to come back. And so he has all these long-standing relationships with these orchestras and opera companies across the United States. And then people like us add to the mix. And so then he, then his schedule just gets completely full. Well, of course, then the pandemic hit and everything just kind of went to, you know, everything got trashed. And, but fortunately, we're still playing. And it's nice to see that I'm seeing some of the orchestras coming back now, which is nice. I saw South Bend's going to have a concert on April the 10th. And I'm seeing things happening. So that's good. But we're, uh, he's coming back April the 17th. He's doing a concert that's a little bit of everything. It's, um, there's some Handel, there's some, uh, a little Mozart symphony. Uh, he's going to do a couple of pieces from Lucia de Lammermoor, the Donizetti opera. Um, and he's going to do some uh, pieces from the musical Ragtime. And he's bringing in two really wonderful young singers who probably would have been in New York right now, except of course, they will be, but he's really championing their careers. Her names are Kelly Motter, M-O-T-T-E-R, and Edward Graves. Uh, she's a sub Kelly's a soprano, Edward's a tenor. And if you Google their names, Kelly Motter, soprano, Edward Graves, tenor, they'll come right up on the web. On the web. So, and you'll see how impressive they are. And they even have um, snippets of their voice. And uh, it's just, it's going to be such a wonderful concert. Gary is so excited to be coming back to LaPorte. Uh, this will be the first time. Gary's probably late 60s, maybe 70 now. This will be the first time he's been invited back to conduct the orchestra. Uh, so, so it's long, long, long overdue um, for him to do this. And we have tickets that are available um, in the balcony. Um, right now, I have not been given a restriction yet, but we're in the blue, so that's good. Uh, and the tickets are available on our website, lcso.net. There's a page devoted to this concert where you can look at their bios and buy the tickets and see the concert program. And then we have a music shop in Laporte called Roxy Music, and the tickets are going to be uh, available for sale there. It's $20 for adult, $18 for senior. Um, and students with a valid ID get in free to the concert. I'm telling you, you need to watch this gentleman in action. He's a real, he's a real delight, and he's so happy to bring these uh, these two singers with them and i think it's going to be a very nice closing to a season that i probably will never forget <laughs> well for multiple reasons <laughs> so um tim any hints on what's in store for the 50th season have you i'm sure that's well, been well, being discussed 
Well, of course, we'll, help, we'll have a new music director in place that will be his or her uh, second season with the orchestra. Um, and I'm not going to divulge yet. We do have some special things um, for the fifth. We've already put together a committee of board members and community members. So we've already started working on um, some ideas uh, for concerts and community events during that time. But we, we do plan on enhancing the season for sure. So that starts August of 22 and we'll go to July of 23. God, I can't believe we have to learn that. I know we, we're all we're all oh. anxious for all these upcoming reveals. Who's your star <laughs> new conductor? It's going to be exciting. Right, right. So we're, we're going to choose a conductor in the next week um, and uh, we'll have to work out the contract with that conductor. But hopefully in the next couple of weeks, three weeks, we'll be able to make an announcement for the next season. So exciting. You have about 30 seconds left. So tell us concert dates once again, how to get tickets and uh, all the that. The concert effort. date is, it's, uh, it, we're calling it Welcome Back Gary Wado. And it's uh, the concert date Saturday, April the 17th, 7 p.m. Civic Auditorium. Tickets are $20 or $18. And you can get them on our website, lcso.net or Roxy Music in Laporte. Very good. And that's April 17th, 7 p.m., Laporte Civic Auditorium. Tim King, welcome back to Spotlight, and we look forward to talking to you Always again about a pleasure. what's and coming up. Believe me, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And next, we'd like to welcome to Art in the Air, someone who I've known for a little bit of a while and seen her wonderful shop in Hammond. Uh, she's involved in a whole wide range of uh, artistic pursuits in terms of support, doing many things. She's trained as a makeup artist. Uh, she also is active in revitalizing downtown Hammond, also connected in one way or another to El Taco Real. Welcome to Art in the Air. Karen Maravilla, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for offering to have me on and inviting me as a guest. I'm excited. Oh, so excited. We're so excited. I love your glasses, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. So, Karen, we'd like our audience to hear kind of your personal journey. I always like to say, like, how you got from where you were to where you are now. So just tell us a little bit about your background. I was, uh, see, I grew, grew up in Lansing, Illinois. And um, when my dad, let's see, Interesting little fact some people don't know about me is my dad was a chemist and uh, my mom and dad had eight kids. So my parents needed to supplement their income because not only did they need to feed the eight kids, but of course their eight kids always had friends hanging around. So they started a concession business and we would go to all the community football games and carnivals and events and bring our white trailer. My parents were way ahead of their times. They uh, repurposed a trailer as their concession stand back in the 60s. Uh, so we sold mainly cotton candy, popcorn, snow cones, and fun things like that. And uh, so we did that. And then in high school, uh, my dad's job was transferred. I went to Marion Catholic High School in Chicago Heights. And it was traumatic because I was very shy. And moving from here to Texas is like going to another country. It's very different. And it's especially different if you're shy. Uh, which people know me now and they just laugh at me and they think, oh no. And I said, no, one of the reasons that I was able to overcome it was because it was sink or swim. I moved there and they thought I was either <laughs> you know, unfriendly or whatever, all kinds of other things, which I won't say, but I was very shy. So it, it had, it forced me to come out of my shell. It was like sink or swim. So I moved to Texas. Um, I was there in Waco. Unfortunately, before all the cool stuff that's going on in Waco now, um, 
you know, because who knows if I would have came back because with the fixer up and all the fun stuff going on there, that's right up my alley. So I uh, went to um, Clinton Community Colleges there, went and received my um, associates in fashion merchandising and business. And then I realized uh, I did other things on the way, but I realized I wanted to get back home. I never wanted to, to go. I wanted to be here. So I moved back in uh, 90, came to Hammond. <clears throat> and uh, Hammond is where my parents always took a shopping, downtown Hammond. So I loved Hammond. I, um, I got a job as the makeup artist at Marshall Field, which I love that store. Uh, most people know it's like the epitome of customer service and excellence. And did all different things. I worked at a CPA firm for over 10 years. Um, did a lot of fun, different things. But I met along the way uh, a gentleman named Ramundo Garcia. Uh, my dad's Mexican. My mom's Swedish. So I grew up eating authentic Mexican food prepared by a Swedish mom, which was very interesting. <laughs> we actually made it in the Times for the uh, article. And Swedish wife cooks for Mexican husband. And so I would look for Mexican food and, of course... <laughs> a style that was similar to what I like. And uh, I kind of gave up after a while. And one of my older brothers said, oh, you need to go to El Taco Real. And I said, sure, sure, sure. He goes, no, no, the rice is just like mom used to make. So we went and I fell in love with the restaurant, fell in love with all everything about it, the family atmosphere, the service. And then a busboy there kind of caught my eye. And uh, say the rest is history. We've, we've uh, done a lot of things together. Uh, he uh, he has a big, strong belief in Hammond, just like I do, and he likes serving and um, serving the public, plus uh, serving as well as volunteering. We both love the arts, so uh, April 1st will be their 47th anniversary as a family-owned business at El Taco Real, so you hoo to them. Yeah, completely. Great. And then we decided uh, that we wanted to have a really big impact in our community. And we figured what better way and area than downtown Hammond, because it has its ups and downs and it needed some TLC. So Raimundo bought um, three properties and one of them is the store. It's just serendipity. And then another one um, was an arts building and then eat, which is a former FW Woolworth store. He's converting into a uh, bank facility, bistro entertainment center for the arts. So I am basically um, trying to hang on. It's, I don't want to sound negative, but between the pandemic and online shopping and everything, brick and mortar stores have really had some challenges. I mean, before COVID, they had challenges and then COVID really kind of was like almost a straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of small businesses. So we've been pivoting and uh, hanging in there, trying to do different things and seeing what will work. Uh, so I serve on boards that uh, help support our community. One of them, obviously, one of my favorites is South Shore Arts and the Northwest Indiana Symphony Orchestra and the Downtown Hammond Council because it focuses in our downtown. So, so Karen, um, I mean, I have to say, like, what an epic call to service your family has exhibited. Um, is there any, like, during your childhood, what did you... What did you observe to inspire you? Like the story about the trailer was one, but it's like you've taken service to like a whole new level, you and your family. So I was wondering, you know, did you, was that from childhood? Yeah, I think it was mainly childhood and then some, and then part going into adulthood. Part of it was, I mean, my dad was an extraordinary minister at St. Anne's Church in Lansing. He sang in the choir. Um, they, he was involved in the Knights of Columbus. They, they were involved in a lot, as many things as they could with the fit, fit size family that they had. 
But one of my fondest memories is when we did the concessions, we all worked together. And sometimes there'd be two or three of us in groups, you know, somebody would go over to this, this carnival, somebody would go to a football game. So it was really teamwork. And then at the end of the day, after we were counting up to see how we did, you know, hoping that we didn't miss any popcorn or cotton candy sales or anything, <laughs> when we ended up, uh, my dad would treat us to pizza. And having a family dinner was a really special thing. And, you know, you think about it now, a lot of people don't sit down to dinner. Or if they do sit down to dinner, they have the TV on and the phone on. And there was, it was verboten, no phone. If the phone rang, I was like, oh, please, dear God, don't let that be for me. <laughs> because it was like a very special time. We all focused on each other. So I think that was a big uh, part of it. And then the people that I met along the way, um, I had some unfortunate circumstances in my childhood. And, you know, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I realized, you know, there's some horrible things that happen, but I can either just choose to do bad things or I can pick myself up and try and do something better. And I realized I never wanted anybody to feel bad. And I, and I recognized that. In, I mean, it took me a while. It took me quite a while in adulthood why I pushed myself even more. And it's because as many good people as they're out there, unfortunately, there's some that are just not. And I thought along my journey, if I could help even one more person not ever feel that, then I would be a success. Did you have support from either your siblings or your mother and father in particular to help you make that leap to make you decide to overcome challenges? Um, you know, sadly, when you have things happen to you, a lot of times you keep it to yourself and you don't share it. That is true. So I really didn't turn to my family that much. Um, they were always there for me. They were very supportive. They, my mom and dad always let me know, you know, if I needed something that they were there for me. Um, but I was very fortunate to meet people along the way who inspired me and who, you know, always encouraged me and set good examples. So along the way from, you know, going from, uh, teenager to adult, I just was very fortunate that I was able to surround myself with positive people because nowadays, if you get in with the wrong mix of people and you're vulnerable, you can really make some bad choices. And we all make mistakes, um, but, you know, who you associate with and who you choose to spend your time with, you know, has a big impact on your life. So I was fortunate that I met wonderful friends and that um, that Raimundo Garcia was was very supportive of me, um, knew things about my past and, you know, was kind of a rock for me to get me through some of the very, very difficult times. It's beautiful. It's the arts, Larry, and you guys, just the arts, I guess one of, that's one of the reasons it's so important to me is because it expresses such beauty in life. And, you know, some people play sports and do other things and I'm not saying things, anything wrong with that, but the arts whether it's music or visually, no matter what it is, it helps instill confidence and it gives you a sense of such beauty and awe that you feel like you can do anything with help. So, so what did you gravitate toward? In high school, I was like living in the arts department. Was there like a particular group that you um, found um, helped you? I mean, was it, was it the arts? Was it theater? Was it writing? I actually was on the uh, yearbook, year, uh, the journalism. I loved, I've always been an avid reader. Um, so I, in high school, I gravitated towards that. 
Um, it was challenging because I went from Marian Catholic, which had, a, I don't know, my class was just under 400 students. And we went to Waco. And so I went from a predominantly like Catholic upbringing. And in Texas, it was more Baptist. So it was, it was again, it was a different culture. So my parents thought that they were going to give us a break and they sent us to the public school. Well, it just so happened at the time, the school, it was just not in a good, it, it was not a good, at a good place for what was happening in the school. I think we were there less than a week and I came home crying saying, please send me back to the, to the, to the Catholic school because I just felt like it was a better environment. Um, so that, that also, you know, had some impact on me as well. You know, you touched on uh, some of the activities you've done in the arts and supporting them, which I'm, I know you from those various things. In fact, one thing I just uh, told Esther before we started our interview, we were going to have an interview with you last year, and we talked about it at the last chamber luncheon, and we were going to have it like a th- for something for downtown Hammond in uh, June and everything, and of course this all happened. But uh, you also run It's Just Serendipity, this cute little shop on Holman and Hammond, and uh, I'll let you describe it because it's not your typical store. And, uh, and also, there's, tell us a little bit about, I know you guys had a warehouse fire or something like that. So tell us a little about some of those type of things that have been going on. Well, Raimundo Garcia and I wanted to have an impact. And my grandfather, my mom's dad, had a store in South Chicago. So antiques and thrifting and junking and all those things are, I guess, in my blood. So we decided to open up a store in downtown Hammond. And we, um, we wanted, I wanted it to be unusual because it's almost been 12 years now. And back then you, the, the, the antique business was a little bit different. So I wanted to make sure that say a few of you came out, one of you loved antiques, but the other ones didn't. I wanted to still make it a place where you would feel like, okay, I don't mind coming here. You know, she's just not dragging me to some dusty old place. So we have a lot of vintage items. We have things that are repurposed and upcycled and handcrafted by local artists. Uh, we have furniture. I offer prop rental, custom gift baskets, um, and local yummies like Raimundo's local honey and uh, Tiddlywink toffee. So I wanted the store to be a wow experience. Downtown Hammond had a fabulous reputation. And then like a lot of downtowns, it, you know, it lost its way. So I wanted people to walk in and say, wow. And I'm so happy. I feel like a little kid on Christmas when people walk in and literally that's what they say. They walk in, they go, wow, this isn't what I was expecting. Uh, I spend a lot of hours creating, trying to inspire people with vignettes and settings and displays. So if they do have something maybe that they love from their grandmother and they don't know what to do with it, I give them a reason not only to keep it, but to find a new life for it so that they don't feel like, oh, it's just sitting here and I really don't want it here. So I try to inspire them. Uh, so I, and then I, you know, had my teeth cut with my parents' customer service, but then Marshall Fields, which was like the epitome of customer service, uh, on state street in Chicago. So I always want to provide excellent service with a really fun environment. Um, and then of course, I always love to share the news about where else you should shop in Hammond and then, you know, surrounding communities, because that's what you want to do. If you're coming out to have fun, you want to know, well, where can I continue the fun? Where can I go and get a great margarita? <laughs> After <laughs> and you're involved with a downtown uh, uh, whole environment there. And, uh, you know, I remember doing like the downtown walk uh, several years ago uh, for all the little artsy places all around there. There was like, what, about 14, 15 places on that. And But you're involved in that whole downtown redevelopment. I've been honored to serve as the president um, and it's a volunteer uh, position. But we've done we've done really wonderful things. I'm really proud of what the the volunteer organization has done. 
Uh, you know, everything from cleanups to Bizarre Bazaar, Haunting in Hammond, A Christmas Story, uh, Eat Shop and Rock, uh, Hunting of Homan, and uh, Bike Swap and Shop. We've done some really fun things. This year, due to the pandemic, we're going to kind of shift our focus and we're going to do not as many event things. We're going to try and just focus on what's there and who's there so that we can bring people again to our downtown. And luckily, Mayor Thomas M. McDermott Jr. in the city of Hammond has started another downtown plan. They had just kind of culminated in November, right before the pandemic hit. Um, so they had to put things on hold, but it's back in, in full swing and things are um, things are looking up. There's going to be a lot of development and um, exciting announcements made. So is that mostly business owners? Is that business owners who are developing these great events for the community, like Bizarre Bazaar and some of the other ones you mentioned? It's all of our it's all our not for profit board of directors. Uh, we're we're small but mighty, and uh, it changes. So there's uh, people that work maybe from the say somebody from the Hamlin Public Library, somebody from a bank, somebody from a law firm, somebody from an antique store, somebody from a restaurant. So it's a mix, um, and we've all just really pulled together. This year, though, due to COVID, you know, we didn't get funding, we couldn't get sponsorships, we couldn't get memberships because, you know, people were just really uh, financially challenged. Um, so, like I said, this year, we're trying to really just focus our efforts on making sure that people know that, hey, there's a great theater called Toll Theater, there's Beatniks on Conkey, there's Paul Henry's Art Gallery, there's 18th Street Brewery and the Distillery. And I mean, there's so many places down there. We're just not within like one block radius. So it's a little bit spread out. So sometimes people don't know. Um, so we're trying to connect all the dots and pull everybody together. Um, just like we did with the art walk, like uh, the downtown Hammond council did it a couple of years. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Henry's art gallery, Dave Mueller. Um, he did it. He was the one um, that really spearheaded it for, for quite a while. Um, but we all need to just, you know, work together and collaborate. Um, one of my favorite sayings is that a rising tide raises all boats. And, you know, you can, you can do something and be great at it, but, you know, you're not going to really shine unless you share it with others. And if you bring others along with you. Um, it's just more fun. Yeah. You're going to be in the boat by yourself. And what fun is that? You want to have, you know, a bunch of boats and you all want to be rowing in the same direction and have the ultimate goal where you, where you help each other. So how has your shop weathered all of this? Are you, do you have limited hours? Do you, you know, what's the status right now? Right now, what we did after after Christmas is that we just went to private shop private shopping appointments. So a gentleman just came in the other day, and he was so so cool. He bought a couple of vintage hats. He's like, "You should be open every day." And I said, "Well, I can't do that right now in this climate." I said, "I'm kind of open every day. If you text me and you tell me when you want to come in, I can be available almost every day." Oh, <laughs> the, the the private shopping appointment thing is a little bit still foreign to kind of some people. They're not quite understanding like what that means. So I, I tried to, I did a post and I said, look, you plan your vacation, you plan your dinner, you plan all these things. Just plan on giving me a text and saying, Hey, I want to come out on Tuesday or I want to come out on Saturday and then we'll get you in. So, uh, so I'm doing private shopping appointments and, uh, but actually this upcoming weekend, cause it's the first week into spring and we're clearing out the warehouse in the back of the shop. We're going to have a sidewalk sale and an inside spring sale. So great deals to be had and found. Um, you mentioned the building and yes, it was a catastrophe. It was horrible. It was, you know, it was just, it was a nightmare. Um, you know, there was a very, very unfortunate fire and the entire building uh, 
was basically lost all the contents, you know, everything from personal belongings to inventory to downtown human council offices and much more. Um, Raimundo had his beekeeping equipment in there. There's just a lot of different things in there. So, uh, you know, I saw there's every time there's a kind of a joke about fires. I just, I say, you know, it's no joking matter. You know, please don't say fire sale. Please don't, don't comment like, Oh, what happened? Because, you know, it's, it's a devastating thing to lose. I mean, my, I keep telling myself and so does Ramundo that nobody was hurt. So that's a gift in itself. But when you lose things that are precious and, and parts of history that are now gone, you know, that is sad. But the city, other people are looking at that space and we're looking at having an exciting, um, some exciting new developments in that location. So we're looking forward to the future and just trying to think of the positive things that will come out of it um, as a result. You know, something I'd like to ask is, uh, we talked about your business, but how have you survived with uh, COVID? How has it affected both you and Ramondo, you know, in terms of personally? And, and also talk briefly about the restaurant too, how that's impacted that. It's affected all of us, um, Raimundo, myself, uh, our businesses, I mean, small businesses, I, I can't stress enough, have been have been hit really hard. Some people devastating their jobs. You know, some people were able to, you know, switch gears and work from home, which is wonderful. We've had a real struggle and we are very social. Um, we're very community minded. So it's kind of sad when you can't see all the people you care about. And actually, Larry, I just I had seen the pictures from us from a year ago and I thought when we were at Purdue. And I thought, yeah, that was, I said, that was my last, like one of my major, like just networking luncheons. And it was a wonderful exactly. turnout. It was, it was great to see everybody, but it's, it's difficult when you are used to having that connection with people and, and it goes out. I mean, when that flame goes out, it's, uh, it's kind of dark. So thank goodness we have the technology that we can reach out like we do in Facebook and Zoom and all the things, because if we didn't, gosh, that, that would really have been horrible. So again, we have to look at the bright side that we can still stay connected we just can't physically reach out and hug each other like we like we used to. What are you looking forward to doing after this is all over with? <laughs> Giving my mom and dad a really big hug. <laughs> Miss that a lot. Um, and just and giving my friends a hug and, and seeing, you know, going going. I, one of the things I really really miss is the Northwest Indiana Symphony Orchestra. Um, I saw one of my uh, flashbacks from the Christmas concert, and I mean, it just it it gives you goosebumps and it, and it just gives you such a charge. I, I miss the live art. Um, I miss seeing the artists. I, I, that is something that I really just, I'm looking forward to reconnecting with the arts and the people who love the arts. Excellent. Hey, um, I know you're, uh, where, where is the shop located? We want to let people know how to find you in Hammond there. We're at 5630 Holman Avenue in downtown Hammond, Indiana. Uh, I always tell people, look for the mobile gas station. We're right across the street. Um, you can find us. I have a website. It's just serendipity.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, how about the restaurant, El Taco Real? That's at 935 Hoffman Street in beautiful Hammond between Calumet and Columbia. And then Eat, the American Bistro, which is the former F.W. Woolworth location, which is filled with gorgeous art and history. Um, that is at 5201 Holman Avenue in downtown Hammond. So any plans this summer maybe to start opening up uh, Hammond a little bit now that we have uh, vaccines out there? Um, we're looking at that. That's what we're trying to decide. Again, it has to do with funding and the volunteers because people are really pulled in a lot of different directions. But I will be sure to let you know and I will be sharing it all over the place when things do happen. 
We'd love to have you on our, one of our spotlight segments where we actually focus on things very specific and everything. Anything we missed, Karen, that we should have asked you about that uh, we didn't cover in this last minute? I would love to just let people know that there's so many people that say they loved downtown Hammond back when. And then there's people that just really bash Hammond. And I say to them, when was the last time you were there? And I said, I tell people, please don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Come and see for yourself. Experience Hammond. Experience downtown Hammond. And you know, kind of give honor to everyone, people like me, and there's a lot of other people who are really putting their heart and soul in our downtown and really trying to make it come back. So my tagline is Hammond is happening, and it will happen if all of you folks who are tuning in come and visit us and support us. Um, so I look forward to seeing you. And if you do come see me, please say that you heard me on Arts on the Air. I would love to know that. <laughs> we really Thank appreciate you. the shout out. So that's Karen Maravilla. Uh, she is the uh, uh, curator of the It's Just Serendipity, also involved with El Taco Real. And she's also part of the downtown revitalization, uh, real force in the arts, especially with South Shore Arts and the symphony and everything. And we really appreciate you sharing your uh, personal journey and everything on Art in the Air. Karen, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both very much. It was a, It was a really nice afternoon. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we're pleased to welcome to Art on the Air, Chicago Street Theater. It's a longtime mainstay uh, in Valparaiso. They're celebrating their 66th season. And of course, you know, with some trouble with COVID and everything made some difficulty. But they're looking at, first of all, a reopening, remodeling the lobby. We're going to talk about some of that. And uh, they're also going to have a wonderful family show, James and the Giant Peach, that's coming up on April 9th uh, tonight when this uh, goes. And we'll talk about information. We have with us Jason Kaplan, who is like marketing director for uh, uh, Chicago Street. Uh, Jesse Howe, who's working on the mural in the lobby, and Aaron Sharp, who's the director of the current show. We'd like to welcome all three of you to Art on the Air. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We're so, yeah, we're so excited. It's such an impressive history. So first of all, we'll go to you, Jason. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the history of Chicago Street Theater. Um, you know, how it's, how, it's, a, it's a rich history going back to, like, uh, I guess, Ben Franklin when those people did it. And then they were in the <laughs> Memorial Opera House. And then you went out on your own with your own building. So, But kind of give us a little thumbnail sketch of that. Yeah, thank you. Um, really, yeah, I think 1955 was the first uh show that they did in, in a collaboration which for i think any theater uh let alone a regional community theater to have that kind of history is um wow. so amazing and i'm so pleased to 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 sort of do what i can to contribute to that longevity so they did start i believe it was a group of sort of teachers and educators uh is what uh started and they started as the community theater guild uh and you, like you said, they were in the Memorial Opera House and they did a lot of renovations there and uh, have jumped around a little bit uh, and then eventually found the space, which originally was, I believe, a church on Chicago Street. And again, because they found a space on Chicago Street, the name Chicago Street Theater, I think, was born, I believe, out of out of that location. Uh, and they've been there since, I want to say, maybe the mid mid nineties. Uh, and then early two thousands, they did a full renovation of the the space and the theater. And, uh, then again, with COVID and us having to totally change and, and revamp and, and do some stuff, uh, we're remodeling the lobby once again, 
And uh, the mural that Jesse is is doing is really going to highlight, and she'll talk more about that. But it's really going to highlight the history of of the of the sixty six years that this theater has amazingly been a part of this community. Uh, and we really love focusing on uh, new works. We featured a lot of playwrights, new works, uh, real edgy kind of stuff, uh, and and then also family friendly uh, things that that you can bring your kids and your grandparents to as well. But that is one thing that drew me to the theater was um, their ability to really kind of be uh, out of the box and, and do edgy things that, that sometimes scare professional equity theaters uh, and definitely smaller community theaters of doing. Uh, and, and the fact that they, that's part of their why and they've truly committed to that for, for decades. Right. So. Same with um, giving you a chance to emerging um, theatrical artists as well. I think they have a good history of that. Yeah. And uh, so you're, you've worked on renovating it. I mean, it's been a process as far as I can see in your history. Uh, so uh, with the pandemic, was that give you some downtime to actually work on some more renovation? Oh, gee, a ridiculous amount of downtime. Uh, I, I mean, our last show that we did live, uh, we closed a little early. Aaron was actually in that and was fantastic. And that yeah. was dark comedy, which we had to end that run uh, with, I think, a week left last March. I think if Aaron yeah. was correct. Yeah, they had, I think, a week left uh, and they had to cancel it. And we have been dark since March of last year. So we've been able to um, really do some things interior. Like I said, the, the, the lobby was completely gutted uh, and um, ripped out. And so we're redoing that space. And uh, we've, we also had to redo some things because of some, you know, uh, water damage with the snow. So we're really remodeling some lighting and, and the walls, but the, the biggest, the biggest change for um, our patrons when they come back, and we are so excited that we can have them come back, will be when they first walk in and see the lobby. It will, I, I believe it'll completely blow them away, but it will be a dramatic change from what they were used to last March. Very good. Before we move on to Jesse and talk about the remodel, tell us a little bit what a typical season would be like without a pandemic for a Chicago Street Theater? <laughs> uh, typically, I think we do uh, five to six shows a year, which is also something I'm really proud of as far as the extent of the number of performances we do. Uh, it usually will start uh, with a show uh, first of the year, uh, and that is typically sometimes a, a family show. In the past, we've done uh, Cinderella at that time, Beauty and the Beast, then it would roll into sometimes uh, uh, what we've done in the last couple of years is a, is a Halloween show. And then we've always been able to feature Sven Gulli, which is a big hit. And we always look forward to that. And again, unfortunately, we've had to take a hiatus from that as well. Uh, and we've done some really great uh, shows during that time. It then rolls into the first of the year. Uh, typically, the shows we do there are sometimes those more edgy shows. Uh, or new works for the beginning of the year and um, put in a few more shows in between there. Uh, we'll hit hopefully at least one musical, one or two family shows. 
uh, an edgy show or something new, new works. And then we love uh, capping off our season, uh, which again, we had to end to the pandemic and we were really sad about that is Shakespeare in the park uh, at, uh, at the uh, central park Plaza for the last, I think since 2012, we have, with the exception of this last summer, we have done a Shakespeare in the park uh, free to the community. Uh, and then we do it back in our theater. And typically there's hundreds to a few thousand people that see it over a weekend. Uh, and it's a big, it's a big ordeal, but we really love that we can bring that kind of culture and, and that to, uh, to, to the community. Real quick. What's the seating capacity of your theater for uh, the patrons? Oh, uh, well, as we reopen, it is going to be limited. Typically, though, I want to say it's about 127, 127, 130 seat house. When we reopen, it's going to be very limited so that we can social distance and and keep our patrons and our actors and all of our uh, volunteers safe. Uh, And we're hoping uh, maybe we'll be at about two thirds or a quarter of that capacity. I'm, I'm hoping Aaron might know a little bit more of what they're planning on doing, but uh, I think we're hoping to at least be able to bring in 40 to 50 patrons when we reopen in April. Jesse, can you give us some more details on the mural? I'm so excited to hear what oh. you're doing and what the palette is maybe. And My goodness, I would love to. So um, I was approached to do this project by Donna Henry, who is, a wonderful person, been with the theater for years, and she is now serving as the house manager. Um, I've worked with her as a scenic designer and artist on several productions at Chicago Street. And she said they had this idea to completely repaint and redo one of the walls in the lobby to basically encapsulate the entire history of Chicago Street Theater. And I was like, wow how am I going to put 66 years of history on one wall? And I was really excited, but a little bit intimidated by the scope of that. So I worked with the theater historian, Marsha Burbage, who is a phenomenal woman. She's been there since day one of this theater and had enormous portfolios with old playbills and photographs of every renovation, every building they've been in. And so we wound up taking the central image of the back wall of the Memorial Opera House from when they were doing all of their productions there. Um, That was their original home. And they had painted every show with years, dates, images on that just beautifully aging brick wall, like layers of history. So essentially, we wound up extending it to two walls of the lobby. One is going to be mostly just the aged brick treatment and it's all painted. It's painted on top of um, like a cinder block and it's layered. So it's really fun to play with the color of the muted brick pulled directly from those original photos. And then on top of that, in a kind of graffiti like style will be a combination of pictorial images and text to show not only the places that this theater has called home throughout the years, but also the people and the just iconic, wonderful shows that have really marked different points in its history. Um, For example, the very first playbill of the very first show will be one of the images. And they didn't want like a timeline, so it's more of a layered conceptual history. Um, But it does go a little bit from the earliest 
kind of icons to the future. And the current logo of Chicago Street Theater is going to be painted on the door you walk through when you go into the lobby to kind of symbolize that you're walking into the present and future Chicago Street Theater when you see a show there. So the color palette, the imagery, it all flows, but it's not like in a rigid timeline way. And it's all pulled from research, every single piece of it. So did you, have you done all the painting or do you have a crew? Oh, it's, it's just me. It's just me, but I have time, which is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, working as a scenic designer and an artist, you're always on multiple projects and multiple locations. So this, I mean, with the pandemic, it opened this amazing amount of time where I could dedicate myself to this and really do it justice. And that has been such an amazing opportunity because typically in the spring and fall, those are some of the busiest times when you're working all over the place. And, and in this particular moment, I'm able to really be there showing up every day and painting and developing this mural for them. So it's been awesome. So exciting. You, you said you were a scenic designer. So tell us some of the things you worked on as scenic design. Okay. So um, my job for the last five years was the charge scenic artist of theater at the center in Munster. And we had to go dark, you know, in the interest of public health. And um, so I was also designing shows for them as well as around Chicago. I, I actually went to Columbia there and focused on theatrical design. I also got to study a lot of awesome stuff with art history, sound design. So it was a very rich and varied education, but my focus wound up being in scenic. That was where I was finding the most work and where I was really enjoying creating that form of the story of a play in the scenery. Um, So my most recent projects would have been with um, a company called the Savoyers up in Evanston, and at the center. Uh, but I also would make time to do shows at Chicago Street because that's always been my theater home. It's the first place I got started before I went to college for this. And I I began as a as an actor, as a performer. And when I can make time, I still enjoy auditioning and being on that end of it too. So, yeah. But you're also, you're, <laughs> did, is the book finished or is it an ongoing story that... Um, Jesse and the Grumpy Gnome. I mean, it sounds so oh. delightful. Oh, my goodness. So that has been my big pivot. Um, with everything shutting down, I realized that there was so much I wanted to create that I hadn't really been able to make time for. So The Adventures of Jesse and the Grumpy Gnome is a travel and art blog that I started. And I am creating a visual art book that is all based on the adventures of my boyfriend and I because... One of our greatest passions is traveling and backpacking throughout Europe and wherever we can go, really. And um, he, his, his character is the grumpy gnome because I'm very, like, bright and excited and want to get up early. And he's like, I want to sleep in. I don't like <laughs> stairs. But he still, like, weathers that storm and embraces the adventure with me. And so I'm working on that and also a project uh, with one of my best friends in the world, Mary Kaplan, we're working on a children's book series as well. So I've been pivoting to illustration with those projects and, oh, it's just been a really wonderful way to carry that spirit of storytelling. And this mural is one more way that I can um, express myself in doing that. Yes. It's like, it brings everything together because it's all about 
art and storytelling. And I mean, it's just all so interconnected. I just love this project you're embarking on. You start, you're starting like a, a new venture, right? Isn't it? Um, oh gosh. Apostrophe soul. Can you? Yes. Oh yes. That it, it has been like a whole world opening of ways that I can take all of that experience as a storyteller, as a designer and putting it into a whole new medium as an entrepreneur, as a writer, illustrator. And I, I especially love the idea of creating books for kids because there's like limitless imagination. And especially with so many of my friends having young kids now, the idea of creating a book for them to share with their family really inspires me. So let's move on to Aaron here. <laughs> uh, Aaron, you're directing the show and it's uh, James and the G Giant Peach. So tell us a little first briefly your background and then uh, with Chicago Street and yourself and then uh, why that show was chosen and details about that and the casting and all the fun things you do as a director. Uh, well, I studied uh, music education at Butler University in Indianapolis. Um, I, like all the wonderful people at Chicago Street, I um, didn't actually fall into theater until about 2018. I've always loved it, but I've never been a part of it. I never thought I could, never thought I was like good enough. Um, and one day I just decided to go audition for Legally Blonde over at Memorial Opera House. <laughs> and somehow I, you know, landed a role and I just, loved it so much so I continually started looking for shows to audition for and I auditioned for a show at Chicago Street and you know I mean the rest is history I've been hooked I've been obsessed with it and uh well, what was the audition for what show well uh, at Chicago Street is for Sister Mary Ignatius explains it all to you <laughs> and Actors Nightmare is like a dual show so yeah Excellent. So tell us about uh, James and the Giant Peach and uh, what brought you to do that and, uh, you know, a little bit about the show itself. Approached by our artistic um, chair and he asked if I would be interested in directing the family-friendly show. Um, I've been, I teach theater um, at, at the school that I work at and I've done, I've had, uh, sorry, I have 11 years of just directing like uh, children's theater. So he thought that this might be something kind of up my alley. And I immediately thought of James and the Giant Peach, the musical. Um, it's just a magical show. It's a great story, first of all. The music is just amazing. Um, it's the same composers that did um, Dervin Hansen and La La Land. Um, so you know the music's going to be amazing. Um, and it's just it's just a fun show. It's it's really for everyone. It's definitely like a kids like theme show. But the writers put a lot of really great adult, like, you know, you kind of have to know what they're talking about. And it's funny for everyone. And it's just like uplifting and it's beautiful and it's moving. And um, it's a really special show. And the cast is incredible. With the pandemic, we were worried we wouldn't get people to audition. And then just magically, the 12 people that auditioned were the perfect 12 people. So um, it's a great ensemble. <laughs> Yeah, the hardest thing for a director to do is actually casting a show. I always said it's having directed for a number of years is it's like a marriage. If you do it right, it works great. If you do it wrong, it's terrible. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Jason, um, what about after James and the Giant Peach? So are you still going to have a chance to do? So are there more live things prepared or are you going to do things virtually? What's happening with Teen Fest and Heather's? I mean, 
Yeah, we're we're definitely moving forward with all of those. So Teen Fest will be will be going on, and and Lisa uh, is going to be, of course, heading that. I think we're even featuring one of the Teen Fest shows is from uh, one of the young ladies who has gone through our entire educational program and is now, I think, I think she's almost graduated high school or already graduated high school and is getting into playwriting. So one of her works is going to be featured for that. Uh, we are still planning on doing Heather's. I believe that's going to be in July and uh, trying to think maybe Erin can help me with that since she's basically my right hand and left hand and right leg and left <laughs> leg when it comes to marketing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I might be the marketing chair, but she really, really does a lot for marketing and I'm so appreciative of her for that. Uh, and then we are planning on still finding time, I think maybe August or September. We haven't officially uh, had that put out yet, but I'm also, I want to say it because I'm really excited to be a part of the cast for Stop Kiss. And as sad as I was that we couldn't open it in tandem with James and the Giant Peach, which I thought was going to be something we've never done before and was really looking forward to it. I think the, that show itself has a great message. The cast we have together is fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. So uh, as soon as we open with James and the Giant Peach, we are going to keep, you know, as long as we can stay open, we're going to be bringing uh, live uh, live theater back to the community. Erin, have you auditioned for anything recently? I mean, in the works. I mean, I know that it, everything is COVID changed, but... Yeah, right now there's not a lot of auditions happening. Um, I think we're like one of the only theaters that are really pushing to open. Um, the last thing I did was actually in October. I did a show over at Beatniks on Conky. Um, they did a small uh, production of Arsenic and Old Lace, but that's the last thing I've done. Excellent. Well, I am in Heather's, but that's it. Uh, Jason, uh, just real quick, uh, there's Chicago Street Theater is more than just theater. It's also about education at different levels. Maybe briefly touch on that for us. Yeah, so Lisa, uh, uh, I'll probably butcher her last name, from Moshe Parmigiano is, and I apologize, Lisa, if you're hearing this and I said your last name wrong, uh, but uh, she uh, she studied uh, at Illinois State, uh, then she went to the actor's studio, uh, she's an alumni there, she teaches at Columbia, and she is the head director of our education department for the last, oh, over a decade and really turned, I think, the theater and offered this community a, an amazing opportunity for young people to learn the arts and performance uh, when it's usually sometimes so limited in schools. And uh, growing up myself being a, a theater uh, brat and loving, loving performance, the fact that our community has such, and our theater has such an in-depth program that can start from kindergarten through high school. Uh, and, and kids have gone through that whole gambit and some have gone on to have really, uh, to really do some, some great work and have great careers. So it, it starts at a young age, it's tailored to evolve. And then she has the, the, the teen ensemble, which is comprised of people that have started probably since they were little kids. Uh, barely learning to to talk and move, and and then they they get to do a full on performance on our main stage, um, 
and and really get to sh- show their their growth. Uh, I believe their usually classes are held on the evenings for about an hour, uh, mon- uh, Monday through Thursday, pretty much. And we've been able to. She's done great with the COVID thing. We we still have had our classes. That's the one thing that did not go dark during COVID was um, our education program. And we started on Zoom and it went back into in-person. And uh, that uh, that really, uh, she's had no cases, no issues with uh, with spreading of, of COVID. And we've been very vigilant with our uh, safety precautions. So we're just going to roll that into what we do when we open up for uh, live theater audiences again as well. Very good. So uh, we're getting to our last minute here. Uh, first of all, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts on the show? And then we want to get the show dates and everything from whoever wants to give us that and how to get in touch with you and where you guys are at. Uh, all I would say is that we are at a limited capacity. So if you are buying tickets and if you buy in a group, you guys can sit together and we can fit more people in the audience. So buy in groups. Um, our show is in on April 9th to the 25th. And you can get tickets at chicagostreet.org. Okay, excellent. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. This is Chicago Street Theater. Uh, three of the people that are involved with it, James Kaplan, Jesse Howe, Aaron Sharp. Uh, we appreciate you sharing about James and the Giant Peach that's coming to Chicago Street Theater uh, opening April 9th, which is tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Underwriters for Art in the Air, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments, and Marilyn Van, Arts Patron. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H, dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art. And show the world your heart.